0: of people think if you're hopeful you're positive, upbeat, optimistic. The way I understand hope is that it's born in the deepest struggles of people's lives. It's born in lament and in cries like in the Psalms of why Lord? Why did this happen? Why am I alone? Not only out of lament but out of being supported and loved and carried by So many others who continue that hope when you can't do so by yourself. Out of asking those questions, hope can arise. All right, good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you're here again. If you're new today or visiting with us, we want to welcome you. We love new people at Hope. It's why we exist and uh, God is up to something uh, in this place. So we're excited about uh, what he's doing and we do believe that it is no accident uh, that you are here. I want to start today by asking you uh, a question that that opening clip kind of leads us to. What does hope mean to you? What does hope mean? Means you not the church. What does it mean to you? We talked about that last week. But what does hope? This this confidence in what God is going to do in the future. What does hope mean to you? And to, to be honest, what what does hope look like for you these days? Would you say that your your bucket is full of hope and this optimism and this confidence moving forward? Do you wake up every morning with a with a confidence that God is going to do what He promised? Hope. What does that look like for you these days? Hope can mean uh, a lot of different things, but maybe for you, hope is something that maybe you think, well, that's just for people that that are a little naive to life and don't see all the darkness around us. Or maybe hope is just for those people that haven't lost their innocence. Or uh, maybe hope is something that we can actually discover in the midst of whatever circumstances we're in, just like the opening video alluded to. And I want you to know that's not just some random person uh, there. That's actually Deanna Thompson. She's one of the adults. Uh, daughters of one of the pastors at Hope, Merv Thompson. And uh, several years ago, just in the midst of the the, the pinnacle of of her career and just uh, on the mountaintops of life, she just got her PhD. She's an incredible teacher and professor and author that lives up in the Twin Cities. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she's diagnosed with breast cancer. And you can imagine how it it, it rattles you. It, It affects their whole family. It affects her life. It affects her career. And so when she talks about Hope, When she talks about God developing hope inside of her, that carries a little bit more weight when somebody like that, that's suffering or going through pain, uses that word hope. We use the word hope for a lot of different things, uh, don't we? Some of you uh, last night were saying, I hope I don't uh, drift away in the flood. I hope that my basement doesn't get flooded. We say last week, maybe, I hope that my air conditioner doesn't go out. We say, I hope that the Cubs are going to make it to the World Series. We use that word hope for a lot of different things, and yet when it's in conjunction, when we're in the middle and the thick of it in life, when we're in the middle of suffering, to have somebody talk about having that confidence and that hope in God, it carries a lot more weight. Certainly we use that word for a lot of different things, but there was a lot of hope, there's a lot of optimism, a lot of joy uh, in the house, as there is today and every week, but certainly last week, for those of you that were here, if you missed it, Too bad you missed out, but we had our uh, 10th anniversary as a campus last weekend, and we had a big old party. It was so much fun from inflatables and bounce houses and food and and grilling out in the parking lot all the way to to powerful worship uh, in here and uh, pancakes on Sunday. I tell you what, folks, we're still cleaning up. I'm still wiping up syrup, and it's like 10 days later, you know? But as we like to say uh, around here, there ain't no party like a Jesus party, and better to party and clean up afterwards than to never party at all. Amen? I think Martin Luther said that. You can quote, me on, quote him on that. But uh, it was an awesome weekend. And I tell you, I came away from last weekend with a lot of hope. It was, a, it was a mountaintop experience. And wouldn't it be great if life stayed there? Wouldn't it be great if when we had those glimpses of hope and those mountaintop experiences in our life that it just stays that way? But if we're honest, most of life is not lived on the mountaintops, right? It's lived where? In the valleys in the in-between and life has a way of throwing things our way at the last minute when we least expect it back into the valley into painful and difficult situations and it's easy to lose our way it's easy to lose hope to still have lots of questions and doubts about Jesus and our faith and I want you to know if you're here this morning and you've got doubts and you've got questions you're not alone And you fit right in with followers of Jesus for centuries. In fact, Jesus' own disciples, the story when Jesus ascends to heaven, he's literally been to hell and back, defeated sin, death, and the power of grave, rose rose from the grave, come back to life, they see him in person, and as Jesus is ascending to heaven before he gives the Great Commission, it literally says, and some still doubted. The the Greek there for doubted is, "Eh." that's actually how it translates. You just saw Jesus come from back from the dead, and you still doubt? You still have struggles? Yes, absolutely. The amazing thing about the Gospels is you read through all these stories, Jesus never shames anyone for their questions. Jesus actually welcomes questions. He doesn't shame people. Even when Thomas is like, Jesus, I, I, is it really you? Did you really rise from the dead? Jesus doesn't say, come on, Thomas, just have a stronger faith. Jesus says, come and see. Thomas, why don't you just check it out and put your hands in my side and in my hands. Come and see. Jesus never shames us or or doubts anybody for their questions. He actually welcomes them. All throughout the gospels, all throughout history, there have been Christians that struggle and doubt. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the church, we think that somehow we have to like check our mind, our brain at the door and say, Well, you know, it's faith, so you just gotta just believe, you know. And even if everything is is not well in my life, and I have some real questions about scripture and questions about God, I just kind of have to suck it up and be happy because I'm a Christian after all, right? somebody asks you how you're doing and you give them the church answer fine how's your marriage fine how are the kids fine how's your wet basement fine right and we just say things like that and we think we have to put on some sort of mask whereas jesus says actually this should be the place that's the safest this should be the place where you can come and say you know i got some real questions about this book (laughs) I've got some really I got some big doubts about God and that this would be a safe place. It's actually the people that walk through those doors that say, you know, I got it all figured out, and ever since I started following Jesus, I never have doubts or questions about God. And I used to need a lot of people for help and support in my life, but now I got Jesus, and so I don't need anybody. Those are the people that give me the heebie jeebies. Those are the people that I think, well, that concerns me a little bit. What we often forget is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And that's why Jesus is constantly saying, believe, have faith, put your faith in me. He never says, stop doubting. He never says, stop asking questions. He invites those, not that we would stay wandering forever. Eventually, he calls us to believe, but often it's in the questioning and the wrestling that it leads to truth. Certainly for Jesus' own disciples and for many Christians, doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. And that's why I don't think it's ironic that today, after last night and the floods of 2018, guess what the name of our sermon series is? Finding God in the Tough Stuff. How's that, right? This was planned over a year ago that we would start this sermon series, and yet here we are. And so we're going to be wrestling with some of those bigger picture questions of life. And today we're kind of taking a little detour and we're going to ask this question Does God still heal? Does God still heal. Is that just something that happened long ago in the Bible? Or is that just something that, like, really those crazy televangelists do on TV? You know, you're flipping through the channels late at night, and you see people getting knocked in the forehead and falling down. You're like, eh, that's fake, right? So we kind of project that on our Christian lives. Instead, I don't know about you guys, but when I read through this book, which we're a continuation of, right? We're Acts 29. <laughs> we're the church. We're the continuation of God's story that's in here healing's not the exception it's the rule it, it's the constant it's who god is it's what he offers us and i know there may be a few of you here this morning thinking when i pose that question you're like man i came on the wrong sunday cuz like I, there's nothing terrible going on in my life i don't have any terrible disease nothing horrible is going on so this doesn't really apply to me. Well, before you write it off, let me just ask you a few questions. This is the audience participation part. Let me just take a quick poll. I'm gonna ask you a question, and if that applies to you, you won't be the only one. Just yell out, that's me. Okay, so let's practice. One, two, three. That's me. Okay, you got it. Awesome. So I'm just gonna ask you some questions, and if this is you, just yell it out. Either I myself, a friend or a family member has struggled with a with an illness or a sickness that just doesn't seem to heal. Yeah, that's me too. I, myself, or a person that I know, maybe I've wondered, does prayer actually work and does God actually hear me when I pray? Yeah, that's me too. Maybe when tragedy or disaster occurs, when a terrible thing happens to seemingly a good person, when we face tragedy in our nation, I often find myself asking, where is God in the middle of all this? Yeah, that's me too. So maybe we're all in the same boat this morning. Maybe this question is closer to home for all of us. And the amazing thing I love about the Bible is that it doesn't shy away from questions. The book of Psalms is basically one giant book of people pouring out their hearts to God. And God says in response, I can take it. I can handle it. So bring your doubts and bring your fears and your questions. You don't have to shy away from them. Come just as you are. God says, I'm close to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit. And maybe that's you this morning. So bring your doubts and your fears, and let's go to God's word together for some answers. So if you got your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in the Gospel of Mark today. If you got your Bible you brought your own or your Bible ha- Bible app, go ahead and take that out. Uh, if you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. Uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 40, and would encourage you to bring your Bible every week and follow along. It's going to be in the back third of your Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. One of Mark's favorite words in, in all of his book is the word immediately. Everybody say immediately. 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 And so we pick up uh, the story in verse 40. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees uh, to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. That word there in the Greek for indignant is that Jesus was so moved with passion and compassion that it was from his gut. He was viscerally moved. If you think that Jesus does not identify with our pain and our hurt and our suffering, read the Gospels. He was viscerally moved. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Awesome. End of story. Jesus healed the man. He heals everybody and we can go home, right? If only it worked that way. If only it worked that way. Well, we often forget, here's the thing. Jesus healed that leper, but there was hundreds of other lepers that weren't healed. So how does that work? And sometimes we're left with more Questions. I want to pause there for a second, though, as we dive into this topic and kind of set the stage. It's important to know that in this story healing can look a lot of different ways, and it can look a lot of different ways in our lives as well. Some of you are like, well, that leper got healed, but the dude next to him didn't get healed. And it's very black and white healing is for us. But what you have to understand about the context of the story is that lepers had this terrible skin disease where even their fingers and their limbs would start to, to fall off. It's this terrible disease. And so, rightly so, there was this narrative out there and this belief that if you touched a leper that you would get that, and nobody wanted that. So nobody touched lepers. Nobody got near. Lepers. So I would imagine for this leper that Jesus healed, maybe the primary struggle in his life wasn't the presenting issue of his skin disease of leprosy. It was utter and bitter loneliness. He needed relational healing. He, he'd been isolated his entire life, or as long as he had leprosy. Nobody touched lepers until Jesus So maybe the healing that Jesus offered him, even before the physical healing, was relational healing. Healing can can look relationally. It can look spiritually. Some of you have been burned by the church or had a bad experience with Christianity. Some of you need spiritual healing today. Some of you, Jesus wants to offer you emotional healing, just like the leper from your past, from broken relationships, from wounds. And Jesus wants to bind up your heart and bring wholeness and health and healing to you. Or it could be physical healing, which is we also associate. Healing can look a lot of different ways. And that's important to remember when we're in the thick of it. It was uh, several months ago, I was at the hospital visiting a member of our community here, a gentleman in his young 40s who'd unfortunately been recently diagnosed with a, a rapidly, rapidly spreading cancer at age 42. And... Um, I was thinking about that this weekend. Sometimes I get off script, and (laughs) I just maybe want to tell you this morning, life is really short, isn't it? And some of us live our lives completely unintentionally because we think we're going to live forever. What's your plan for eternity? (laughs) Are you living your life with meaning or purpose, or are you just kind of coasting through and avoiding some of the bigger picture questions of life. Forty-two years old, two kids, wife at home, and a couple days before my visit, the doctor had given them a, a pretty grim diagnosis, maybe a month, but more likely a couple weeks to live. And so I go in, and I visit, and I pray, and I come back out into the hallway of the cancer uh, wing on that floor. That Fortunately, I'm there more often than not visiting people, and I step out into the hallway and lean up against the wall and just kind of... Some of you think when pastors like step on the scene that like we have this magic that we just know exactly what to say, most often I'm stepping out of hospital rooms going, I hope anything that I said made a lick of sense there. Because I don't have the answers. His family didn't ask, but if they would have, why him? Why now? I honestly would have said, I don't know. And that's really hard to say, isn't it? It's really hard to say. I don't know, and I think sometimes as Christians, in our effort to control life and make ourselves feel better, we have a really hard time just sitting in the question and allowing trust to build. I I, I don't know, but in those moments, we have to say, God, I trust in you more than I trust in my ability to understand. I trust in you more than my ability to understand. So remember just leaning up against the hallway and questioning and, and, and struggling and and, and wondering, As a, couple days, <laughs> a couple days later, I get an email from the same family because I told them to keep me updated. And they said that they came in and the doctor was looking at his chart and they ran another screening. And two days later, after I'd just been there, two days later, after he'd been given weeks to live, the doctor's looking at the chart and says, 90% of the cancer is gone. <laughs> it's just flat out gone. Truth, just a couple months ago, just gone. And there's, there's no earthly reason for that. These are the world's most skilled doctors as he's looking at the chart saying, I don't know what happened. I don't have an explanation for this. Praise God. How cool is that, right? Does God heal? Absolutely. Does God heal? Absolutely. A couple weeks later, about actually about a week later, believe it or not, there's another gentleman. He's in his 60s, which is still way too early to die. He's struggling with a rapidly spreading different type of cancer, but literally on the other side of the hallway. You can't make this stuff up. On the other side of the cancer wing, on the other side of the unit there, on the other side of the hallway, and I walk in, I meet with his family, same thing, similar diagnosis, different type of cancer. I visit, I pray, I'm back in the same hallway, waiting, wrestling with God, asking the same tough questions, and a week later, I'm helping his family plan the funeral, both strong christian families both worship at hope hope regularly both were on their knees praying best doctors in the world seemingly two different outcomes it's important to know both of those men were healed weren't they one on this side of heaven one on that side it doesn't necessarily take the pain away in the moment but allows us to live with hope in the middle of the story where we are right now, this side of heaven. And it made me think, life is lived in the hallway, isn't it? Life is lived in the hallway between that family and that family, between this room and that room, between life and death. Some of you are like, it just seems too out there, like it's never hit close to home for you. Well, I want to share, I wanted you to share this story for a while, a member of our congregation named Dean, uh that's here uh almost every week and he had a very very similar experience and i want you to watch his story and if you've ever doubted that god heals god can work in some of the most unique ways take a look at dean's story of healing yeah we give god praise for dean's story absolutely how cool is that huh does god still heal today absolutely There's people sitting all around you. And what I love about Dean's story is that God can do this thing however he wants. He can heal. I mean, if God can work through Idaho, he can work through anything, right? God works in so many different ways. It's hard to argue that. And and the thing is, I think it's important to just stop here for a moment because I know we're going to get to what happens when he doesn't heal. But don't overlook the fact that he does. He does. Because what these stories do and these testimonies do is they embolden our faith and they strengthen us and they fill up our buckets full of hope to say, yes, God, you are capable of that and I, and I trust you more than my ability to understand. It doesn't mean that we ignore the miracles that are happening all around us. I've seen healing the last 10 years. Those of you that maybe you've come up for prayer and your, your marriage was on the rocks or you're struggling with a certain addiction. I have seen people be healed again and again and again. It's in the people sitting around you. And yet we know for a lot of you here today, that's not exactly the place in life you are. We're in the middle of the hallway. Some of you are longing for physical healing or maybe healing from a a broken relationship you had with a spouse or a child or maybe emotional healing from the past. Some of you are living life in the not yet, in the waiting, before the miracle comes, before the healing comes, and that's where most of life is lived is in the hallway, in the valley And that's a kind of a simple way of of explaining a pretty big theological concept that actually existed in Jesus' day, and I wanted to kind of draw it out for you here today as a way of understanding when we read these stories in the Gospels, Jesus' own people, the Jews, were operating from a certain narrative. They were operating from a certain story that really offers us some context of the world that Jesus stepped into and will help us understand where we're at in the story today as well. Jews in Jesus' day had this understanding, or at least what they've been taught, if that this is the timeline of our lives, really of human history. They believe that everything was uh, everything was once good in the beginning, and so there's a definitive mark of. Creation That that, that happened. And then sin enters the world through Adam and Eve and through God's people rebelling. And so we'll put an R for that. Where sin and brokenness and disease and natural disaster all enter the world as we turn our backs on God. The world is broken. And yet Jesus' people knew that a time was coming where the Messiah was going to come. Where Jesus Christ was going to come. And they were living in this world. In in the, the present age as they called it. And then when Jesus comes and X marks the spot that would be called the age to come or the messianic age. And what they believed is that when Jesus came, that he would kick out the the, the Roman impressors and he would establish the reign of his ancestor David and he would reign forever and, and establish God's kingdom and people would be healed and everything would be put back together and the world would be right again and Jesus would reign forever and that that would go on forever, off the page for eternity. And then Jesus got killed. And then their Messiah is hanging on a cross and you can imagine the shock and the agony of seeing the one that you thought was going to make all things right dead end of story and so that's why people struggle with doubt when Jesus came back from the dead because that didn't fit in their narrative Wait, wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus was here and now he's dead. And so Jesus shows up and as he often does, shatters people's expectations. And he teaches a much different narrative. Absolutely, things were once right in creation. Things all went wrong in rebellion. But then when Jesus shows up, yes, there are glimpses of the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is, is here. The kingdom of God is moving. And you see all throughout the gospels, Jesus healing people. We get glimpses of the kingdom. And yet Jesus teaches this narrative that in the end, there will be the restoration of all things. Everybody say restoration. Restoration. The restoration of all things in the end, when I return. So there's the first coming of Jesus and then the second coming, and that restoration is when everything will be made whole. So we kind of live in this now and not yet time right here, in the land in between, in the hallway. Those of you that have taken the core class, we break God's story down into if it was like a, a play that you would see at the Civic Center or something like that. And creation, we kind of say, is act one. The rebellion and sin and brokenness entering in the world uh, is act two. Uh, Jesus' coming is act three. We call that the rescue, where Jesus has rescued us from the power of sin and death, and yet the war is won, but the battle still rages, right? And then act four is restoration, and that's eternity that goes on forever, and this helps us understand why this side of heaven we get glimpses of God's kingdom breaking through, but not completely. Some lepers get healed, some didn't. Your loved one may have been healed and experienced a miracle, others didn't. We still live in enemy territory, and that full restoration is coming. That's why scripture says all of creation, including all of us, groan for the day when all will be made right in the restoration of our bodies and the world. We live in the land between, and we get glimpses of heaven even in our own lives. Some of you, the first time you held your child in your arms, when you saw your bride walking down the aisle, when you're standing on a mountaintop watching a sunrise or a sunset, you say, I, man, I was created for that. I want that forever. And the good news is you were. You were created for eternity. What this also does is it puts our healing in perspective because our lives... <laughs> even though we live in the land between, are just a dot. I can't can't make it small enough for how short our lives are in the perspective of eternity. And Jesus is reminding us that Act 4 goes on forever. I mean, I'd have to line up these whiteboards all the way down, right? It goes off the chart. It goes on forever. Eternity is a really, really long time, and so it puts our healing in perspective is that all of us all of us that have put our faith in Jesus are going to experience healing someday. It might be th- that side of heaven versus this side of heaven, but if we experience healing in this life, in the land between Act 3 and Act 4, it's almost like a bonus. It's, it's icing on the cake. But every single one of us is going to experience full healing someday. It's coming for everyone. It doesn't take the pain away, but it helps us live in light of Act 4, and the end of the story if you're watching a, a, a movie and you know that it all pans out in the end, you can watch the other acts of the story with confidence, knowing this is not how the story ends. It doesn't end in tragedy, that one day everything will be put back together, and so we can live with hope where we are now. But only if you and I lived with that unshakable confidence every day. And so because we live in the hallways of life, because we live in the, the kingdom is here now, but not yet, as Jesus taught, we try to cope in different ways with the unanswered questions of life. And I think if you boil it down, you and I, we try to do that in a couple ways. The first way that we try to cope is that we essentially, we, 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 when there's unanswered questions and unanswered prayers, it's really easy to get angry with God, to even grow bitter or cynical, And we just sort of grow jaded towards life and we become skeptical and we settle for life as a cynic. But what many of you discovered is that life as a cynic is a really exhausting way to live. And doubting and wandering forever and questioning everything and even being angry at God, nothing steals your joy quicker. It's no way to live. And so that doesn't help fulfill us or get us through. And if that doesn't work, the other thing we try to do is well, essentially, we don't say this, but we, we play God. In our effort to control everything, there's many well-intentioned Christians, and maybe you have said these things or you've heard somebody say this to you when some a family member is in the hospital or somebody dies. We, 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 try, we try to say nice things, but in an effort to sound good, we actually hurt more than help. We try to spiritualize away the pain. We make claims like, well, God needed another angel. Or God needed them more than us. Or you must have not had enough faith if that happened to you. Or they must have done something to deserve this. Or whatever it is. The problem is not only those are not true, they're not biblical, and they're also not helpful. And so we have to be really careful that what looks cute on a post on your Facebook feed or a plaque on your wall or a calendar, we got to make sure it lines up with God's word. And so we don't need to control things, we we, we don't need to, to try to cope by being a cynic. Instead, Jesus offers us a better way. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9 as Jesus teaches us again as he talks about healing. So the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 9, Jesus tells the story, or John tells the story of Jesus and his disciples that they come upon a blind man. So John chapter 9, starting in verse 1 says, as he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Now get this, they just arrive on the scene and the first thing Jesus' disciples say is this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let's stop there for a second, right? These are disciples of Jesus. They've been hanging out with him for a couple years. They see a blind man that's suffering and the first thing they say is, okay, who sinned? Right? If I'm Jesus, I'm flunking these guys in their pastoral care class, right? Jesus is like, come on, guys, we've been over this, right? Have some compassion. But before you throw the disciples under the bus for their comment, it would be important to know that in this day there were some rabbis in Jesus' day that actually believe this and they would take these old testament stories and scriptures and twist them and they taught that sometimes illnesses or setbacks or pain in somebody's life were caused by the sins of the parents of the person themselves and unfortunately there's a lot of christians today that still operate under that narrative but watch jesus he's quick to set the record straight. Verse 3, the story continues. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, get this, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus directs the disciples' attention away from what caused it and to the greater purpose now of this man's Life. Verse 6. Then he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and spread it with mud over the blind man's eyes. Pause there for a second. Ever notice Jesus never heals the same way twice? Some of you are playing the comparison game these days and you're saying that person got healed, that miracle happened to that family, why not with me? Read the Gospels. Jesus never does it the same way twice. Sometimes he works through doctors and nurses, sometimes he works and does it himself through mud, sometimes he works through the state of Idaho, Right? He never heals the same way twice. Then he spit on the ground, made mud, and spread it over the man's eyes, and go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. That'll come in handy later. So the man washed and came back, seeing. And not only that, we read later on in the story, he is literally sent by the power of God and starts telling his friends and pointing people to Jesus. Notice in the story, we never get an answer of why it happened in the first place. Jesus never gives us the answer, but what we get is a demonstration of how God is already going to use this situation. Don't overlook the fact that the pool that he goes to, the name of the pool is called Sent, which is exactly, has become this man's mission in life now. He is sent as a missionary of Jesus, shot out of there to go and tell people about the glory of God. Don't miss the fact that in the place of his deepest pain, he found his purpose, Some of you are overlooking and discounting the pain or the suffering you're experiencing these days, and Jesus says, don't overlook it, because maybe in the place of your deepest pain today, you're going to discover why I created you, of how I'm going to take even the most impossible situations and turn them for good. Jesus says, let's get the record straight. We live in a broken world where this side of heaven, we may not have all the answers and know why things happen the way they do. But our job isn't to play God, and our job isn't to try to make up answers. Instead, our job is to stay humble and open and expectant to how God can take impossible situations and bring good from them. In fact, Jesus, if Jesus' response reveals anything, it's this, is that the presence of pain does not equal the absence of God. The presence of pain does not equal the absence of God. In fact, as Deanna said in that opening video at the beginning, true hope is not born on the mountaintops. True hope is born in the midst of the questions and the doubts and the waiting. Don't discount a God who gets down literally in the mud with us and says, I've walked in your shoes. I understand what it's like to be you who identifies with our pain, a God who's working behind the scenes. This was not in my notes, and then it popped into my head this morning as our children woke up after my wife and I had been up till 2 a.m. cleaning water out of our basement. Speaking of working behind the scenes, they had no idea that any of this happened. Our basement didn't start flooding last night until 9 or 9:30, as maybe some of yours did. And Tiffany's out talking to our neighbor, and I said, uh, honey. I think we need to go down to the basement a little bit. And so for the next five hours, there we are, uh, getting everything up and trying to, trying to stay ahead of it as best we can. And we, are exo- like we were just ready to go to bed. And then all of this happened. Our kids had already been in bed for two hours. And I was thinking about that. Our kids roll out of bed this morning like nothing had ever happened. And they want their Fruit Loops and they want to watch TV. Like nothing had ever happened. And the, the selfish human father in me wants to go, you guys have no idea what I've done for you. You have no what? you should pay extra rent. They're three and five. You should pay extra rent this month because I was up to 2 a.m., Caleb, wringing out water so that it didn't ruin your precious Legos. But I didn't, I said, you guys. Sometimes when it rains a lot, the water just comes up from the ground. It comes up from everywhere. And so there's some water in our basement. And Mommy and Daddy are a little tired this morning because we were cleaning it up. And he says, is my train table okay? Yes, it's fine, right? <laughs> and then here's what God said this morning at 6.30 a.m. John, you know that I'm, I'm up every night. I was up all night. And I'm always up for you, working behind the scenes. And whatever you're up against in your life these days, you may not understand what I'm doing. But just like a good and loving father, I'm not going to rub it in your face and say, I was there for you! God says, never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. I've been up the whole night. We always say that too. When you come into worship, you know that these chairs you're sitting in have been prayed over. And do you know that God was here all night waiting to meet with you and he's so glad that you're here today and he says I'm working behind the scenes in your life even if you don't understand it and so instead of bitterness and cynicism instead of trying to play and play God and control everything I believe that the Bible offers us two biblical responses to our pain and life in the hallway and so that's where I want to land today number one is this turn to your neighbor right now and say neighbor keep praying tell him that right now keep praying Number one, keep praying. That may sound overly simplistic, but don't forget who we're praying to, the most loving, powerful, benevolent God in the universe. James reminds us in James chapter five, let's read this nice and loud together. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What's your, what's your prayer to worry ratio these days? If you're anything like me, to be honest, we're, <laughs> it's like, stress, stress, worry, worry, freak out, freak out, oh yeah, I should pray, right? Last night at 1.30 in the morning, my wife and I are wringing out every towel we have in the house. I'm literally on my hands and knees so frustrated, and I'm saying, darn it, I'm frustrated in some things, and my wife looks at me and says, do you think we should pray? <sighs> Try being a pastor, And having somebody say, we should probably pray four and a half hours later into our cleanup, right? Nothing's more convicting than that, right? And I'm being honest with you because this is us, right? Whatever we're up against, whatever comes our way in life, Jesus says, keep praying. It's powerful. It's effective. Like, do we believe that? I know some of you come up for prayer and you're like, that's for the people that have real issues. I'm not going up to a prayer partner, right? What if you didn't think about leaving a service here without coming up for prayer no matter what's going on in your life seven words that can change your life can I pray for you right now that's seven right yeah I'm just as guilty of this as anybody and maybe you've done this it's called the Christian prayer promise and somebody tells us something before and after worship that's going on in their life and you're like oh I'm so sorry to hear that I'll be praying for you how often do you actually pray for them later now you forget Something I've just started to do is when people tell me things, I just go, can I pray for you right now about that? And in 10 years of ministry, I've never had anybody say no. I've never had anybody say, no, you can't come before the, the you know, most powerful, loving being in the whole universe on my behalf. No, don't pray for me, right? <laughs> Worst thing they can say is no, and I've never experienced that. People are like in shock of saying, wow, you would actually do that? Yes, it's the greatest gift we can give to each other because way more than a good sermon, you need God. You need Jesus, right? And his healing can flow through us. Never underestimate what God can do. And I think that we can grow in a congregation in that. Instead of rushing off to the next thing, I think something we can grow in as a church is slowing down. Sometimes we just try to rush the Holy Spirit. I've done my church thing for today. And God says, whoa, can I speak some blessing and some healing into your life? Would you slow down and allow yourself to be prayed for? So keep praying. But that's not the only one. Keep praying. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, keep the faith. Tell him that right now. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have many troubles. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. Who says something like that? Well, Jesus is the only one that ever can and the only one that ever will say, I have overcome the world, because a few days after Jesus says that, he went to the cross. And after defeating sin, death, and the power of hell, he rises from the grave. And so Jesus is the only one that can say, I have overcome the world, anything you're facing, and that's why we keep praying, that's why we keep the faith, and that's why we can live with hope. I don't want you to misunderstand me today. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This isn't saying, put a smile on your face and have hope as a Christian. This is the power of gospel thinking. This is putting our hope in Jesus and who he is and his faithfulness. I love how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. Let's read this nice and loud together. This, This deserves to be read with everything you got, so let's read it together can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That's a pretty all-encompassing verse, don't you think? I mean, that pretty much covers everything. That's just a defining statement, not of positive thinking but of gospel thinking victory is ours we have an overwhelming victory that has already been won for us our hope as christians is not naive it's not some surfacey level hope it is deeply rooted in god's love and his track record and his faithfulness of what jesus has already done this may be a completely unconventional way to close a sermon but i'm going to do it anyway so randomly this week, this scene from an old base—it is baseball season after all—but this scene from an old baseball movie pops into my head. Several years back, a film came out called, called *Moneyball*, and you're going to see how this all ties in in a second, I promise. But tells the real-life story of the Oakland A's and their their manager, their general manager Billy Bean, and the whole movie—he's the story, really, based in reality. He's struggling with finding meaning and purpose in life, and he's trying to find it in success and and money and and all these things, and he ends up finding it in in faith and in, in relationships. And there's a scene towards the end where one of his friends in the video room shows him some footage from a minor league game where a player who's, well, this player's experienced a victory. Life is way more significant than he realizes. He's experienced a victory, and he doesn't even realize it. Take a look. Jeremy Brown, the hitter, had no idea that the ball was already over the fence. (laughs) He'd hit a home run, which means he doesn't have to worry about falling down, which ultimately means he wouldn't have to worry about anything that would happen or come his way on that trip around the bases. He could fall down every single base and it wouldn't change the fact that he'd already won. Victory was already his. (laughs) And I know there are some of you that are here today with unanswered questions about God and the Bible and about faith. There are some of you here today that are so tired of praying and seemingly not getting an answer. You're here today with doubts and fears about the future, and you're wondering if you can get up again. And if you're wondering if you can take one more step, and you've got to know today that Jesus is getting down in the mud just like he did with the blind man, just like the base coach there is with Jeremy saying, yeah, you may have fallen down. You may have failed. You may be doubting. You may be struggling today but pick your face up get up and take one more step keep walking take one more step because the victory is already yours get up and start walking jesus says to every single one of you today i've already knocked it out of the park for you when i went to the cross and rose from the grave which means that victory is yours which means that even on this side of heaven cancer has already lost Pain has already lost. Divorce and relational heartache have already lost. Your suffering has already lost. Because Jesus wins, you win. Amen? Amen? And because of that, you can walk around the bases of life with hope and with joy. And yes, believe it or even not, meaning and purpose, even this side of heaven. Because you know that eternity is coming. And restoration is coming. And healing is coming for all of us. Amen? That's the promise of God. Let's stand and prepare our hearts for communion.